are in the last week of I am who I said I am, God's great self-revelation statement. Um, and so we're going to dive right in this week because we're going through a big chunk of it today as we conclude. We've been unpacking it over the last six weeks. I'm going to ask you to read it with me like I do every week. I want it to be committed into your mind and your memory because it can change who you are based on who you think God is. First service last week, thank you for letting me come to you by video last week. I know I told you to say it with me, and then we didn't put it up. Um, so that would have been pretty difficult, unless you had already committed it to memory. That would have been impressive. But uh, we had a tech glitch, which we, fi we figured out what, what was wrong there. But uh, this gives you the opportunity to double down on it this week and really say it loud with me, all right? So let's discover who this God that we're here um, gathered around is. Read it together with me. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished, he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. And so what have we learned? Well, we've learned this, that God has a name. It's not merely Elohim, which was the Hebrew word for deity. It, that was just an impersonal title. So when you just call God Lord or God, that's like dentist or doctor. He has a name. Specifically, it's Yahweh, and it had meaning. It meant, uh, it means, I am who I am. I will be what I am. God is not a vague idea. He's not an impersonal force. He's a relational being who wants to be known and wants to know you. Yahweh then goes on to describe who he is. After he gives his name, the first thing he says is, I am and I will be compassionate. This is a little review here. It's a, a one-minute review of six weeks. He says, the first thing you need to know about me is I'm compassionate. And if you remember, that was, it was a, a feeling word from the Hebrew root word, which meant female womb. And so God feels about you the way a mother feels towards a child. And then God said, I'm gracious. Gracious was not a feeling word. On the other hand, gracious was an action word. This means that, that this God, this Yahweh God, he does stuff. He's not distant and uninterested and, or, or unattached to your life. He's active and engaged in your life. He's right now, right here, involved with you. And then Yahweh says, I, I want you to understand, I'm slow to anger. Literally, as we discussed in the Hebrew, it meant long of nostrils. He is patient and slow to anger. He doesn't fly off the handle. He's not waiting to pounce on you when you screw up. Last week I told you about abounding in love and faithfulness, which were the Hebrew words hesed and emet. And we talked about that, the important nature of when you pair those words together in the Hebrew. That essentially what God was saying is that he is loyal to his covenant, to his deal with us that he's going to maintain his love and the deal over the centuries. And that deal was he was going to bless his people so that they would then be a blessing. You and I, sitting in this room, I want you to understand, you are living proof of Hased and Emet. You are here because God has been faithful to his promise that he would bless his people and they would be a blessing. And so today, we wrap up with that somewhat tricky final sentence. 
maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. So he starts this last piece by saying, I am maintaining love to thousands. So Yahweh says, this love that I have for you, this covenant loyalty, I'm going to maintain it. The root word there in Hebrew means to protect or to guard. So what Yahweh is saying is that he is going to ensure for all eternity, and not just for a few people, but literally for thousands of people, that they get said, they get this indescribable covenant loyalty love. Remember the famous Oprah Winfrey show um, that was on a bunch of years ago now, and she gave everybody in the audience a box, and they all opened it at once. And you remember what was in the box? Car keys, right? And everybody's so excited because they got a car, and Oprah's running around. Remember what she was saying? You get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. This is Yahweh's version of yelling at the top of his lungs, I have a better gift for you. I'm guarding my hesed, my love, and my loyalty to make sure you get it. You get hesed. You get hesed. You get hesed. You get hesed. It's a boundless. One translation actually says it's to thousands, not just thousands, but thousands of generations. It's limitless. It never runs dry. He's made sure. Understand, God has maintained some of this has said. He has guarded some of his covenant loyalty and love for you. From the dawn of creation, he's maintained it with you in mind. And then he goes on. The great I am will forever be forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Now, we've talked about this over the last weeks, and it's one of Comer's big points. A lot of people think that God was one way in the Old Testament, and he's a different way in the New Testament. We tend to think that God was angry in the Old Testament and forgiving in the New Testament. That, that forgiveness wasn't really on God's radar screen until Jesus showed up, but that is not true. Forgiveness, as a description of Yahweh, occurs 658 times in the Old Testament before Jesus shows up. Forgiveness is not a new revelation of who Yahweh is. For, hear me on this. Forgiveness is not a new revelation of who Yahweh is. Forgiveness is Yahweh. It's in his DNA. He forgives not because he has to. He forgives because that's what he does. That's who he is. Yahweh is forgiving uh, wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Now, in your small group Bible studies, as you've gone through some of the, the God as a name material, you'll see that when you put that three-word pairing together, it's essentially saying, I forgive all kinds of sin, no matter what the sin is. You know, we grade it out, but God says, no, I, I forgive all of it, no matter who, no matter what, no matter where. And he's in the business of forgiving sin, because in this self-revelation statement, he says, this is who I am. I love what the theologian Douglas Stewart said. He does not reluctantly forgive sins, and we think this sometimes. He doesn't reluctantly forgive sins against himself and others. He does so eagerly as a manifestation of his character. See, we tend to think that, that Yahweh is like this. Well... Jesus died for you, so I guess I'm going to have to forgive you. But man, you're one lucky kid, because if it was up to me, I'd get you. That's not who he is. 
He's eagerly waiting to forgive you. But then comes a big word. Yet, it's a really big yet. It's a really important yet. Truth be told, it's a bit of a scary yet. Yet, he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. Yet he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. His very nature is forgiveness. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. Yet, as one translation says, at the same time, just as importantly, God is a God of justice. God doesn't let the guilty off the hook. And, and while tolerance is the buzzword of our day, and while maybe in our culture this might not sound like a good thing, we're not into accountability anymore, uh, it is a good thing. Remember, remember in the scriptures now, where all this is heading, where Yahweh is leading his people, where he's taking all of you, you and I, God's end goal for creation, the gospel story in fullness, his end agenda is a world that is absolutely set free fully and completely from sin. See, his anger against sin is not like your anger against your ex. It's not personal. It's not about a payback or a vendetta. God's anger against sin is about healing and renewal and restoration and reconciliation. And so when we repent, right, religious word for change the way we're going, change our direction, change our thinking, when we repent and turn away from our sin and wickedness and rebellion, Yahweh, out of his nature, because it's who he is and he's eager to do it, he forgives us. But if we don't turn away from our sin, if we keep walking in it and embracing it, because of his nature, and this is a good thing, Yahweh will put an end to evil and injustice out of his goodness. He will not allow injustice and evil to prevail forever. Now, where does evil come from, right? Well, it's a byproduct of sin. And Yahweh is after a world without sin and evil. A world without cruel dictators, ethnic cleansing, rampant corruption. I mean, think about it. And Comer points some of this out in the book. It's so good. No abuse, no shootings in elementary schools, no knockout games in New York City. Anybody see that this week? A woman knocked out on the street? What does your heart say? There's got to be justice for this. See, Yahweh is after the world that you want. No violence at all. No racism, no misogyny, no, no ex how about the Harvey Weinstein stuff, right? No exploitation of women and children, no casting couch, no anxiety, no depression, no mental illness, no handicaps, no divorce, no betrayal, no breakdown of the family, no fatherless, fatherless children, no evil at all. That is where God is taking this. Isn't that what you want? I mean, send your kids off to college and watch what they go through. And you'll sit around like me and go, oh, that is going to be a really good day. I mean, don't you want to live in a world without the fear of Alzheimer's taking your mom and dad and opioids taking your kids? I mean, I do. That's what I want. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you will live in a world just like that one day at the renewal of all things. That is coming. But in order for that new world to be ushered in, sin is going to have to be judged and eradicated and eviscerated. 
See, God hates sin. He does not hate you, but God hates sin. Why? Because of what it's done to his creation and to his children. I hate sin because of what it's done to my children and to your children. And because he is a God of justice, he's going to put an end to this. It's not going to go on forever. It's not okay. It's not just the way it is. Now, you might hear all this and go, well, this is pretty good stuff. A God who by his very nature is forgiving. He, and a God who by his very nature is not going to allow justice to rule in this world or in the next. This is great stuff. Now, I'd like to end it there, right? If, if, I was, if was, I was writing the Bible, I'd just end it there because, you know, it's easy to sell that to my friends. There's another verse coming that's a little more difficult, Right? And see, this is why we need to go through the scriptures. This is why we need to teach the scriptures uh, so, so that there's a full understanding. We can't make God be what we want him to be. We're really just worshiping something we made up. And so, so the Lord, he, he continues in this self-revelation statement talking about the severity of sin. He says, he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents. If you read ahead in your small group material, and I know some of you had, somebody even commented on Facebook this week, I couldn't wait, I read ahead. Um, if you read ahead in your small group material, um, you, the first thing you know is this can't and doesn't mean what it sounds like it means. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you why. Because there's other spots in Scripture that say the complete opposite. Let me give you a couple. Deuteronomy, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible, written by the same author here as Exodus, Moses, same author, same Torah. Here's what the same writer said in Deuteronomy 24. Parents are not to be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their parents. Each will die for their own sin. So that's fairly clear, right? Like, your, your stuff is your stuff, and you're in trouble for your stuff, right? My stuff is my stuff, and I'm in trouble for my stuff. The prophet Jeremiah, he translates, remember I told you, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, what we're studying is the most repeated verse in all of the rest of the scripture. It's that important you understand who God is. So Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, here's his interpretation of Exodus 34, um, 6 to 7. He says, you show love to thousands, but bring the punishment for their parents' sins into the laps of their children after them. But then in the very next verse, Jeremiah interprets this. He says, great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord Almighty, that's Yahweh there, whose name is Yahweh, remember they, they put it in Lord because they were afraid of using the Lord's name in vain, but whose name is Yahweh Almighty, great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds, your eyes are open to the ways of all of mankind, you reward each person according to their conduct and as their deeds deserve. So, if it doesn't mean that because, I mean, Imagine being my kid, like my poor grandchild, is in big trouble right now. He doesn't know it yet. Well, he's not even born yet, but he doesn't realize the trouble I've caused for him. If it doesn't mean that, if you understand who Yahweh is in the entirety of the scriptures, that really wouldn't make sense relative to who he is. If it doesn't mean that, then what does this troubling verse mean? Well, the first is somewhat obvious. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to, to know it or believe it. Here's what I know and you know. The sins that, that parents commit have consequences on their children. Would you agree with that? I mean, the cost of, of parental sin is 
more often than not, born by the kids. There are obvious examples here, right? If you're a drug dealer, you get arrested. Your diapers comes in, takes your kids from you. The children wind up in a foster care system, separated, bounced around from home to home, split apart. Is that going to have consequences? I see, you know, dad goes off and he serves five to ten and he gets out and rebuilds his life. But the children lost their childhood and their sense of security and their ability to love and to trust and attach. Now, we would all agree with that one. But there are more subtle ways where you and I hand down the sin from one generation to another. Who pays the price when we make our careers or our money or our success our little g-gods that we worship? I mean, I get a corner office. I get a nicer car, closer parking spot. Who pays the price? Who bears the burden for our need to drink too much or, or to drink too often? You know, listen, I understand we live in a fallen world and we've all got our stuff, but we need to think about this. I mean, who does, who foots the bill for our divorces and our affairs? and the way we talk to each other at home. These actions, our choice to operate outside the boundaries of what God's plan is for us, our kids pay the price. And not only do they pay the price, they pick up the habit. And see, you know this, okay? Have you seen the Geico commercials that are out? There's one on TV that, that's pretty good. There's two, two other or three other really long ones. Let me show you the one that's on TV. We know this situation. We know it, right? You feel it coming. And it's not just it becoming like my dad, right? Um, and, and by the way, it works both ways, right? Like, you know, it's my wife. I see so much of her, her father now. As we get older, something happens. I don't know. It's like you hit 40 and a switch flips and you start becoming your mom and dad. One of the things I realized a few years ago, many things I see in my kids, which I wish, I, which I wish were not true of them, they got from me. Like, I look at it and go, that's a bad character trait, crud. I gave that to you. I heard it said this week, parenting is like watching, watching your character flaws walk around on two little legs. Right? See, one thing I think about all the time with my, I've got two boys and two girls, right? My boys are learning how to love a woman. Some other family one day is going to trust their little girl to, to one of my sons for the rest of their lives. Those boys are learning how to love that woman based on how I love their mother. My daughters are learning what to expect from a man, how they should be treated, valued, and loved. They're learning that from I, how I value, treat, and love their mother. If I don't want my little girls to wind up with some jerk that takes advantage for them, demands on them, cheats on them, emotionally abuses them, well then guess what? I better cut it out. But until I met Jesus, 
The only way I knew how to love a woman was based on my parents' broken marriage. That's all I knew. And so whatever my dad did, I did. And it didn't work out that well for him. And until I came to a fuller revelation of who Jesus was, it wasn't working all that well for me. Now, I don't want to hand all that stuff down to my kids. There's a lot of things I want to hand down to them. The gospel, the preeminence of Jesus, that he's real and that he can be trusted, the importance of faith and family and tradition. There's a, a lot of things I want to give to them. But here's my prayer. I want the crud to stop. I want my generation to be the last generation that, that passes on some of this stuff. I want to get better and I want to be better. So that's the first layer of meaning there. The second layer of meaning is, is why I want it to end with me, why it's important that it end with me. Because if Yahweh is faithful to stop injustice and evil born out of sin, then Yahweh will not stop punishing the sin just because he punished my dad before me or me for it. It's not like Yahweh is going to say to little John Henry Eisman III, well, you know, your dad was an idolater and your dad was an adulterer and your dad made work his, his uh, idol, but I punished him for it, you're good. See, that's not who he is. Yahweh is faithful. You can trust and rely on him. He's not changing or going anywhere. And here is what he's going to do. He is going to eradicate this pattern of sin. He is going to keep punishing it until it's gone. He's going to keep scraping away at it until the cancer is removed. See, God's view of sin which is essentially missing, sin, sin doesn't have the definition you think. I mean, we, we put a lot of morality type of stuff on it, but essentially it's like God, sin means that God set a mark for us and we've missed it. He wanted us to follow his ways for our own good and our own blessing, and his view of the mark, his view of sin doesn't change. Now, cultural views change, societal views change, but God doesn't change. Now, I'm going to tread, can I, you know, it's the last week. I'm going to tread on some... You know, remember we just sang, you call me out upon the waters? I'm going to walk out on some societal, cultural waters for a few minutes, all right? I'm going to give you a, a quick example of what I mean for this. God's prescription for our sexuality is that it was and is to be reserved for and contained within the covenantal relationship of marriage. And so up until about 50 years ago, if people... We're having sex outside of the boundaries of marriage. If people were just, you know, now it's like, hi, my name's John. Hi, my name's Kim. You want to live together, right? Like, if, if people 50 years ago were living like this, culturally, societally, everybody would have agreed that that was not good. That was missing God's mark, that that was sinful. 50 years ago, we would have understood, we would have agreed not just people in the church, people outside of the church, you know, it's probably unlikely that God's going to bless that relationship because the people that are in it are choosing to, to live outside of what God has already prescribed as what he is that he's going to bless. Everybody would have, like, you know, church people and non-church people would have agreed on that. God told us to live one way. It was for our good and our blessing, and we're free to live outside of it, but to the extent we do, and God will permit us to live outside of it, we will lose his blessing. It's not what he wants. It's not what he wants, but he allows us to choose it. Oh, and choose it we do all the time. Now, it's 2017. I get I seem like an old fart up here right now. 
culturally, societally, everything has changed. Nobody cares. I get that. But here's what I need to tell you as your pastor. For God, nothing has changed. Nothing. Cultural morality moves. God's mark does not move. God is God. God is faithful, and he will punish sin through the generations, even if we think it's no longer a sin. And it's not because he's mean. It's because he's good. His goal for you and your children is a world without sin. Now, if, if, you're, if I'm scaring you this morning, listen, it is highly unlikely that God is going to punish you via lightning bolt to the bedroom. This is not how he usually works. We talked about that earlier in the series, right? Usually what God does is he says, okay, you can do what you want. I will leave you to your own devices. When it comes to that relationship, you, you are on your own. Now, you can repent and bring it back into line and harmony under me. But until you do, you will lack the blessing of Yahweh. You will miss on your relationship the blessing of Yahweh. It's not by his choice. It's by yours. Now, I want to show you how this works biblically because it's important to understand. Because it gets confusing. But I thought God was gracious and forgiving, but you're saying... So let me, let, me, let me give you an example here. Coming out of Numbers, right? Early in the series, we saw Moses, if you were here, talk God out of judging Israel. God was going to wipe Israel out from off from the face of the earth. Why? Because he wanted to kill the cancer of sin that was causing evil. It was metastasizing. And so God was going to put an end to it. And Moses says, no, 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 God, God, God. He comes and he, if you remember, he appeals to God. He goes, Yahweh, don't you remember your name? If you do this, the Egyptians are all going to say, like, you, you know, we were wrong about you. And remember, you're compassionate and gracious. And Moses talks God out of it. Now, if you know the story of the Old Testament of Israel and the relationship with God, you know that their repentance never lasts very long. And so again and again and again and again, they walk away from God and wind up deep in sin. In the book of Numbers, sometime later, Israel, once again, far from the mark, far from God, and they're about to stone, they're about to slaughter Moses, their leader. Can't take it anymore. And so here's what God says. He's watching this play out, and he, God comes to Moses in chapter 14. He says, of Numbers, he goes, how long are these people going to treat me with such contempt? How long are they going to refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I've performed among them? He says, this sounds familiar. I'm going to strike them down with a plague and destroy them. He says to Moses, though, I'm going to make you, Moses, into a nation greater and stronger than they. Now, if I'm Moses and I'm about to get stoned, you know what I say? Yes, yes. These people are the worst, right? And I would be much better. Restart with me. But that's not what he says. Moses goes back to him and says, Exodus 34, Exodus 34, Exodus 34. Now, the Lord's strength be displayed, just as you declared. He's saying, he's telling God, he's reminding God of who he is. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the parents of third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. See, this is, again, a piece we talked about earlier, but I don't want to pass by it too quick. Hear me. God is not some stoic figure in the sky that can't be moved or changed. When you pray, God responds. So Yahweh, again, for the second time, he's about to wipe this cancerous sin off of the world. But he changes his mind. 
14.20, the Lord replies, I've forgiven, just as you asked. But I want you to see something about sin that is so powerful. Are the Israelites forgiven? Are the Israelites forgiven? Yes. I, I have forgiven the Israelites. Their sin is no more. Scripture goes on. Nevertheless, this is not a good word. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory in the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. You see, remember now, Yahweh has said and met covenantal love. He's going to be faithful to his promise. But this generation would not experience the blessing of his promise. Why? You need to understand this is a big issue in the scripture because Yahweh is compassionate and gracious and forgiving, but sin is not. Sin is not compassionate and it is anything but forgiving. Some of you know this. Sin is a brutal slave master. Sin has brutal consequences. Now remember, Yahweh said, no matter what kind of sin, no matter how bad you've messed up, if you will turn to me, forgiveness is yours. Nevertheless, your sin will cause you to miss out sometimes, most of the times, irretrievably on blessing and what God had intended for you. See, God does have a, a, a plan for, for this world, a, a blessing for this generation of Israelites. God did forgive them, but their sin had consequences. They missed out on the profound blessing of peace in a new land. Forgiven, sin has a cost. See, my, my fear as 21st century followers of Jesus, is, is that we, we've come to believe we can live however we want because of the forgiveness available to us from, from Jesus. But we need to start living, guys, pastor included. We need to start remembering that though forgiven, sin will cost us and blessings get lost. Now, remember when Yahweh told us that oftentimes it, who pays the cost of our sins? the kids. Back into the story. As for your children that you said that would be taken as plunder, don't worry about your children. I'll take them into the, to enjoy the land that you've rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in the wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lie in the wilderness. You see, the sin of the parents not only kept them wandering themselves in the desert for 40 years, it resulted in their children following them around and suffering for 40 years. Yahweh is forgiving. Sin is not. Yahweh is kind and compassionate. Sin is not. Guys, we have to, not judgmentally of one another, your eyes are focused on yourself. We have to take sin more seriously because it's costing us and it is costing your kids. Now, this is a heavy talk. Sin is serious stuff, but here's how Yahweh concludes. I love this. He ends with a, a surprising twist right after kind of a heavy moment there. Maintaining love to thousands, he says, but then he says, punishing children for the sin of their parents of the third and fourth generation. 
Comer points out in his work that the correct translation of this verse is that Yahweh maintains love to thousands of generations and punishes sin to the third and fourth generation. And we know this because of, A, how the verse was written in the original Hebrew, and B, if you go back to when, when Moses got the Ten Commandments from God in, in Exodus chapter 20, God says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents at a third and fourth generation, Exodus 34 again, but showing love to thousands of generations. Why do I tell you this? This is important that you hear this now. Because Yahweh maintains love for thousands of generations, but he punishes sin for only three or four. Yahweh wants, as he concludes his statement about himself, for you to see something really important. One last time before I'm out of here, I need you to see this one last time. If mercy and justice are hanging on a scale, they are way out of bounds. They are uneven because as James, Jesus' brother, said, mercy triumphs judgment. Do you hear that? Mercy triumphs judgment. That's Yahweh. You see, if, this, if you study this great passage enough, you, you wind up with a tension, right? There's like a paradox built into it. You've got a God who's kind and compassionate, but you've got a God that says, I'm not going to let sin go unpunished. How can both of them be true? The answer is contained in one word. Jesus. At the cross of Jesus, you see the solution to this dilemma of mercy and justice. It's an expression of Yahweh's mercy. It's his way of forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin, but it's an expression of his justice because he doesn't let the guilty go unpunished. He is both just and the justifier. At that moment, at Calvary, you, church, see the ultimate expression of God's character you want to see what God is like, look at the cross of Jesus Christ. Mercy triumphs judgment. In spite of all the talk about the, the wrath of Yahweh, his anger, and, and he does get angry, slow to it, but he does get angry. He pours out that anger and judgment on himself. Available to you is a pardon for your sin. You don't pay, he pays. That's Yahweh. That's who he is. Unlike any other God anybody has ever made up before. You see, this whole text is all set against this backdrop of Israel being, being bound in bondage to Egypt. And now I want to fast forward to you sitting in this room, me standing on the stage, because this whole verse that I've been trying to, to get to memorize myself and, and this whole verse I've been unpacking and trying to get you to memorize, this verse in this room too is set against a backdrop of bondage. Because everybody in here to one degree or another is bound up with some level of sin. I don't know what yours is. But I do know this and some of you have experienced and tasted sin enough. Sin is a cruel taskmaster. Sin is slavery. When you get addicted to sin, to the approval of others, to gossip, to porn, to anger, to sex, to lies, to idolatry, to title, to prestige, to power, to money, when you get addicted to sin, you wind up losing the ability to stop serving it. You can't stop. 
Now, now if you've struggled with alcohol or drugs, you know this is true. If you're struggling with porn or sexual addiction, you know this is true. But it's also true in these other subtle areas. You, you, you need more, you explode more, you watch more, you cheat more. And maybe you're here this morning, when I spoke of generational sin, it resonated with you because you said, yeah, my grandfather was an alcoholic. I have alcoholism in my family. I can walk you through the generations. You know what sin you were handed down, and you can see you're well on your way to passing it along. I see the more subtle sins I'm passing along, the, the need for significance. Right? I have this need for significance in my life. God, being significant to God in my brokenness is often not enough for me. And so what do I do? I drive my children. And I pass down the sin pattern, pass down the sin pattern. Listen, here's what I want you to understand. What was true of your father and mother does not have to be true of you. It doesn't have to be true of you. What was true of your parents does not have to be true of you. Yeah, yeah, but like father, like son. You have two fathers. One on earth and one on heaven. And you have a choice as to which one you want to be like. Because you can be like either one. You can break the, the chains of generational sin by the power of the gospel, by the power of Jesus, allowing the Holy Spirit. I know it sounds all spiritual and mystical, but there is truth here. That, that in the spiritual realm, as you connect with Christ, new life comes into your life, and you will change. Repent, change your mind, follow him, and change. Now, you guys can get the band, but, but i, I got to give you one more. Maybe you've heard this message. Maybe you said, I've come to Jesus. I've allowed him to take all my crud, nail it to the cross. I understand I'm forgiven and free. But man, when you talked about the mess that sin made, that resonated in my life. Because the mess I made in my life, you don't understand. I don't talk to my mom and dad anymore. I haven't seen my kids in years. My grandchildren, I, they're growing up. I'm not allowed to see them. I've lost relationships. I've lost loves. I've had a career dry up. The debt I'm in is over my head. My kids are a mess because of what I've done. My health is a disaster. Maybe you're thinking, I understand who he is, but man, I screwed up my life. I missed out on Yahweh's blessing. So you got to know Yahweh. You got to know Yahweh. It's the most important decision you're ever going to make is, is following Christ, understanding who Yahweh is. There's, I told you, this is the most repeated verse in all the Bible. Joel, the prophet Joel, he repeats it in his book, Exodus 34. Here's what he says. Even now declares the Lord, even now declares Yahweh, return to me with all of your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to Yahweh your God, for he is gracious and compassionate. Hear it? Slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He might turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. Who knows? So as consequences, that's very true. But there's nothing more true than this. Yahweh is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. His mercy triumph his, triumphs his judgment. And I, I would just 
as your pastor and preacher and friend, I would tell you, you really need to come to him. No matter where you are, where you've been, what you've done, who you've been with, come to him. Worship him. Repent. Turn from your sin. Break free from the patterns of generational sin. It was explained to me one time, like a chain link fence keeps going in the same direction until somebody sets a link off in a different direction. You could be that link. You will be forgiven. And who knows, men? He might turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. All praise to Yahweh.